So this past Sabbath, we were supposed to go over the Torah portion called Hazinu, which means to give ear or to hear. But I thought it more important to talk about Yom Kippur since the day after was Yom Kippur. And um, I wanted to educate the congregation in regards to uh, Yom Kippur and what it involved and how it's still relevant for believers in Messiah Yeshua today. So I think we, we did that. So I'm going to catch up with the Torah portion of Hazinu tonight and hold off on our uh, Corinth or Colossians Bible study. And we'll, we have plenty of time to pick that back up. So the title of today's uh, message is Heaven's Hymn Book. Heaven's Hymn Book, and we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. So songs are powerful. Uh, sometimes you can hear a song and it sticks with you, and you may not hear that song for 30 years, and yet you'll still remember that song when you hear it. Like, I'm a child of the 80s. I mean, I was born in the 70s, but I remember a lot of shows from the 80s. Probably 30 years ago, there was a popular uh, sitcom called Different Strokes. Now the world don't move to the beat of just one drum. What might be right for you may not be right for some. A man is born. I mean, how do I know that? It's been 30 years. Or, or you know, the facts of life. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the facts of life. The facts of life, right? I mean, we still remember those theme songs to those uh, uh, sitcoms. And, of course, that's how the advertisers make their money is through jingles. Um, the best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. That's probably like 30 years old, too. I remember hearing that. And, yeah. And then, um, give me a break. Give me a break. Break me off a piece of that Kit Kat bar. I mean, we can go on and on. And some of these songs have been around for years, and they just keep using these songs over and over. Now, I heard a song just once, and it was probably 30-some years ago. And it was one of my buddies in college making fun of another guy during a basketball game. Now, this guy was my roommate, and he got mad because he was sitting on the bench most of the time and he didn't get a lot of playing time on on the court so my friend made up a song he says get out of the way for old don denny he ain't fat and he ain't skinny he's been pouting he's been crying because he ain't getting no play in time in i only heard that song once and i still remember that now there's a song that i made up and uh, this guy he was from Kingston, north carolina and he was an odd kind of duck and he would say weird things like we were in a guy's dorm. And so I guess this is the first time he was introduced to open showers or open stalls because there was a, a three shower stall at the end of each hallway. So you had to take a shower with other guys. And he asked me one time, he goes, do you know what it's like? taking a shower between two men? <laughs> and then we had a concert one time outside and he's laying on the grass and uh, he got uh, he, he got a bunch of chiggers. And so he heard that if you get fingernail polish and you put it on the chigger bites, it'll kill the chiggers and take the itch away. So I made up a song about him. Do you know what it's like to take a shower between two men? If you don't, you're going to before the semester ends. 
And if you get bitten by chiggers, put some fingernail polish on. And those chigger bites will go away by the cracking of the dawn. See how powerful songs are? Now, <laughs> songs are powerful. And, you know, we in, 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 in Protestant Christianity, we have lost uh, the knowledge of the Psalms and how to sing the Psalms. But in Orthodox Judaism, you get any cantor, they can sing every single one of David's Psalms. Now, they, now the Jewish people have a certain way of singing the Davidic Psalms. Also, the Christian Orthodox. You can go to a Christian Orthodox community and find somebody who can actually chant or sing the Psalms. <clears throat> now, we've kind of taken some Psalms and putting them to modern music. Um, you know, like uh, I remember one of my favorite uh, Christian heavy metal bands, Deliverance. They did Psalm 23 and they did it in a heavy metal style. and It was really, really cool. And I remember hearing that live one time. So songs are really powerful. And this whole Torah portion is called Hazinu, which means to listen, to give ear, to hear, because it is, it is a song that Moses taught the children of Israel before he died. And he wanted this song to be a warning. Uh, this song to be like a check engine light to their spirit, a check engine light to their soul. So whenever they started to stray, whenever they started to go off track, this song would reverberate in their minds and they would be reminded of this song. And songs are easy to memorize. It's not so easy to memorize verses, but if you put those verses to music, it's much easier to uh, memorize them. I don't know who has uh, access to Spotify, but um, you know, find an online platform and there's something called Scripture Memory Songs. And they're, they're scriptures, but put to modern music. And it's great because I still use some of those songs to help me uh, when, when I need to memorize verses. So it's a great way to, to memorize verses without just kind of reciting it over and over. But the Bible is full of songs. I mean, the entire book of Psalms is songs. Uh, the Song of Solomon was said to have been sung. Um, then there's something called the Songs of Moses, which is in Deuteronomy 32, but also Exodus 15. There's the Song of the Lamb, which is in Revelation 15. So there's songs all throughout the scripture. And so this is a very important song. Um, you know, like, uh, kind of like a song at a funeral. So maybe there's a certain song that you hear and it'll remind you of a loved one because that was their favorite song and that's the song that was played at their funeral. Well, Moses is about to die. And so in Saul, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, God instructs Moses to teach the children of Israel this song and have them memorize it. Um, so I, I think it would be good just for us to just take time and to read this. So it says, give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth. So basically he's using, you know, how there, everything is to be established by two or three witnesses. So he's calling heaven and earth to witness. Now it is proven that radio signals will just keep going off into outer space throughout eternity. Sound waves will go and go and go and go. So the heavens are literally recording everything that goes on. Now there's a technology that they're able to extract sound from solid objects. 
So, you know, if we had that particular scientific instrument, we can put it on this pulpit and it could extract what I'm saying right now because what I'm saying, the sound waves are hitting and penetrating this pulpit and are being locked in there and recorded in there. So heaven and earth is actually a literal witness. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching trickle like rain. Rain is something that's refreshing. But what Moses is about to say is not real refreshing. It's kind of like a Mary Poppins kind of thing. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. So he's hoping the children of Israel will take his words uh, as they were meant to be and not as harsh as they may sound. My teachings trickle like rain. My speech distills like dew, like gentle rain on the new grass, like showers on tender plants. For I will proclaim Adonai's name. Ascribe greatness to our God. That's what we should do first and foremost when we praise God, is to praise him for who he is, to praise his name, praise his excellent greatness. And that's how most of the Psalms start out. And that's how you know you got a good praise and worship song. When the focus is on God and not on your feelings or not on a situation or not on you or not on anything else. For I will proclaim Adonai's name. Ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, blameless is he, is his work. Indeed, all his ways are just. God of faithfulness without iniquity, righteous and upright is he. So first, Moses establishes that he's God. He's omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. Then he establishes that he is holy. And if he's holy, what hangs from his holiness? All the other attributes, love, uh, fairness, justice, um, you know, peace, wrath, all those are the equilibrium is holiness. That's how he keeps all those attributes in check. Then in verse five, did it corrupt him? No, the blemish is his children's. A generation crooked and twisted. Now Moses is putting the screws to the children of Israel. You're a bunch of snotty-nosed, rebellious brats. And uh, that, so it says, did it corrupt him? No, the blemish is his children's. A generation crooked and twisted. Is this how you pay back Adonai, O foolish and unwise people? I mean, can you imagine this reverberating in Israel's mind? It kind of smarts, especially when they screw up. And this song is there to say, ha, told you so. How is it? How is how is this how you pay back Adonai, O foolish and unwise people? Isn't he your father who ransomed you? I mean, all these gifts, all these blessings. Deliverance from Egypt, defeat of all the giants, crossing the Red Sea, crossing the Jordan, entering into the promised land, conquering the promised land. And he says, Is, isn't he your father who has ransomed you? He made you and established you. Remember the days of antiquity. Understand the years across generations. Ask your father and he will tell you. Your elders and they will say to you. When Elyon, that is the Most High, gave nations their heritage, he separated the sons of man, and he set boundaries for the people by the number of B'nai Israel. Now, I'm going to stop right here. It says something different in the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation from the Hebrew. Now, this may surprise some of you. We are using the Masoretic text, which is the Hebrew text. But this Masoretic Hebrew text is not as old as the Septuagint, and the Septuagint was translated directly from the original Hebrew manuscripts. So the rabbis say a miracle took place in translating from one language to another that the Greek 
is is like almost perfect. So what it says in the Septuagint, instead of um, he sets boundaries for the people by the number of B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, it says B'nai Ha Elohim, the sons of God. So what this means is that there's 70 nations, 70 root nations, therefore there's seven angel, 70 angels, one angel in charge of each nation. When the angels fell, those nations that had managerial responsibility over these nations paraded themselves as false gods and became the false gods of these nations in rebellion against God. However, the children of Israel have always had Adonai as their God. He chose them particularly and specially. So it says, when the Most High gave nations their heritage, he separated the sons of man and he set boundaries for the people by the number of the children of Israel. But, and you know what this could also mean is that there were also 70 elders. So maybe that's why it says that in the Masoretic text, because they were 70 elders that were in charge of all of the children of Israel. Verse 9, but Adonai's portion is his people. Jacob is the share of his inheritance. He found him in the wilderness land, in a void and howling waste. He surrounded him and cared for him, guarded him as the pupil of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, he spreads his wings and catches them, lifts them up on his pinions. Adonai alone guided him, and there was no foreign god with him. So was the sustenance of the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years a miracle? Absolutely. Because it literally was impossible for that many people to have survived uh, leaving Egypt and going all the way to Canaan, to the promised land and crossing the Jordan. There, were, there was not enough water. There was not enough food. There was not enough resources. So we know how they were sustained. They were sustained by a miracle, by the manna, by the water from the rock and unexpected sources, by the quail. Their clothes didn't wear out. The sandals on their feet didn't wear out. They didn't get blisters. Their feet didn't swell. All these miracles took place to show that, yeah, you scholars are right. It is impossible for this to happen. That's why you say it didn't happen. But it did because there's evidence along the way that it did. Because there's Paleo-Hebrew um, all across the path that they took, written on rocks and caves. And, and there's evidence that the children of Israel went through there. Now, was it impossible? Yes. But it wasn't impossible for God, so it shows that the children of Israel leaving Egypt going to the promised land was a miracle in and of itself, and only Adonai, no foreign god, did this. Verse 13, he made him mount the heights of the land, so he ate the product produce of the field. He suckled him with honey from a rock, with oil from a flinty boulder, butter of cattle, and milk of the flock, with the fat of lambs, rams of the, uh, of the Bashan, and the he-goats with the fat of the kidneys of wheat of wheat and blood of grapes you drank but jeshurun grew fat and kicked this is talking about the danger of blessing the danger of prosperity god gave them a promised land god gave them water from a rock god miraculously allowed them to cross uh, bodies of water uh, he provided quail he provided manna he provided all these things and when they got to the promised land they're going to be prosperous there's going to be houses already built that they didn't build fields planted, vineyards and orchards that they didn't plant. And all they have to do is sit there and reap the benefits of it. You know, they may have to do a little fertilizing, a little cultivating, a little <laughs> irrigating, but for the most part, it was just handed to them on a silver platter. 
And when something's handed to you, it's very easy to take that for granted. So the children of Israel had their socks blessed off. And they ended up taking it for granted. And they're like, oh, well, look what we did. Look how great we are. And it says, but Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You got fat and you grew thick. You gorged. He forsook God who made him. He mocked the rock of his salvation. Now, this song is a prophetic song. None of this has taken place yet because they have yet to cross the Jordan. They're at the Jordan River. <laughs> Moses is ready to climb Mount Nebo and die. And then Joshua is going to take over and take them across. So all this is probably a shock to them. What do you mean we're going to grow fat? What do you mean we're going to, you know, forsake God? I mean, even Moses said himself, he goes, look, you guys are rebellious when I'm alive. How much more are you rebellious are you going to be when I die? I mean, come on. But uh, verse 15 again, but Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You got fat and grew thick and you gorged. He forsook God who made him. He mocked the rock of his salvation. They made him jealous with strange, uh, with strangers, with abominations. Uh, they angered him. So this is a prophecy that once they get into the promised land and they don't oust all of the Canaanites and all the peoples that are around and a few stragglers hang around, that they're going to introduce them to pagan gods and lure them away. They sacrifice to demons and non-gods, gods that they have not known, new ones who came lately. Now, this is interesting because in every pantheon, there's old gods and new gods. And I'll tell you why that is. Because the old gods are the fallen angels. And when the flood occurred, those fallen angels were locked up until Judgment Day because they're the ones who cohabitated with women and pr produced the giants, the Nephilim. So their offspring uh, and their dis the disembodied spirits of their offspring of the giants become demons. And that's who become the new gods. So it says they sacrificed to demons and non-gods, gods they had not known, new ones who came in lately, ones your fathers had not dreaded. The rock who birthed you, you ignored. You forgot God who brought you forth. I wonder how many times this song came to the minds of the children of Israel when they were in the Syrian and Babylonian captivity. Because they probably recited this on a regular basis to where it was ingrained in each generation's mind. Verse 19, Adonai saw and he spurned his son and his daughters out of vexation. He said, I will hide my face from them. And that's exactly what happened when they went into exile. I want to see their hereafter. For they are an upside-down generation, children with no faithfulness in them. They made me jealous with a non-god. They vexed me with airy idols. So I will make uh, them jealous with a non-people. With a foolish nation, I will vex them. Could this be prophetic of the Gentiles coming to believe in the one true God? That's, that's our responsibility is to make the Jews jealous. In other words, we're to keep the scriptures better than they do, more sincerely than they do. That's the only way we'll make them jealous is it's serve God better than they do. So I will make them jealous with a non-people. I mean, just think of the quote-unquote Christian nations, the one who became Christian nations, Canada, the United States, the Western world. We were nobodies as far as a people. We're actually a conglomeration of a bunch of other peoples, and we became a people. So I will make them jealous with a non-people. With a foolish nation, I will vex them. 
Fire has ignited my no in my nostrils. I will burn to Sheol, that is the graver hell, beneath, devouring the earth and her produce, and scorching the foundations of mountaintops. I will heap calamities upon them. With my arrows I will finish them. Wasted by famine, ravaged by plague, and pestilence so bitter, fangs of beasts I'll loose on them, with venom of creepers in the dust. Outside the sword deals death, inside terror, to both young men and young women, infants with men of gray hair. This is all, these verses that I just read is basically a Cliff Notes version of Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 recites all the curses that will fall on Israel when they disobey God and forsake him and leave off keeping the commandments of his covenant. And so it's even embedded in this song to help them remember. I would have I would have said, I will hack them to pieces, make the memory of them cease from mankind, except I dread the taunt of the enemy, lest their foes uh, might mis misconstrue, lest they say, our hands is held high, and Adonai has not done it at all. So if God wiped them out, the, the, uh, the pagans, the enemies, the Gentiles will say, oh, God didn't do that, we did this. Plus, there's also the covenant that he made with Abraham, the covenant he made with David that he has to stick to. Verse 28, for they are a nation lacking counsel. Among them, there is no understanding. If they were wise, they would discern this. They would understand their hereafter. So basically he's saying if they were smart enough, they would get, they would get the memo now and realize this is prophetic and it's going to happen and they would nip it in the bud before it happens. But he said that's not going to be the way it is. How can one chase a thousand and two put 10,000 to flight unless their rock had sold them and Adonai had handed them over? Surely their rock is not like our rock, even as even our enemies judge. For their vine is from the vine of Sodom and their terrace of Gomorrah. Its grapes are grapes of poison, bitter clusters on it. So this is kind of what we read in the New Testament is that you will know a tree by its fruit. And so, in the future, Israel is going to produce sour grapes, bad fruit. And that's because of their sin. It's because they're forsaking God's commandments. Venom of serpents is in their wine, poison of vipers so cruel. Is it not stored up with me, sealed up in my treasuries? Vengeance is mine and payback for the time when their foot staggers. Surely their day of disaster is near. What is prepared rushes on them. So. God punishes Israel the same reason we punish our children. All my dad had to do was spank me with his belt or his hand, and I'd know better not to do whatever I did the first time. You better believe I wasn't going to do it a second time. All my mom had to do was get the wooden spoon or the switch, and that set me straight. They didn't punish me because they enjoyed it. They didn't punish me to cause me pain and to see me in pain, but they knew that I was going to learn a lesson from it. That's why God allowed the curses to come, on, to come upon Israel, why he allowed these prophecies to be fulfilled. So it would get their attention. They're like, ah, we get it. Okay, we're not going to do it again. So after the Babylonian exile, <laughs> Israel, Judah, the Jews, never, ever had a problem with idolatry ever again. That's how, how pertinent the lesson of exile was. I mean, it was, it was gods are us, gods on every street corner like Starbucks. And I mean, it was everywhere where they were off in Babylonian captivity. 
And they were forced and made to bow down to this one, that one, and the other. I mean, you had a few that stood up, like Daniel and such. But they learned their lesson. You know, I always bring this example because I've, I've seen it before, you know, where a kid uh, gets caught smoking. Oh, so you want to smoke, eh? Well, here, smoke the whole pack right now in front of me. And the kid gets green in the gills and starts puking. He's like, okay, I'm never going to touch a cigarette ever again. I'm going to give you, you want gods? I'm going to give you so many gods, you're going to be sick of them. And he did the same thing with the, with the quail when, uh, oh, we want meat to eat. We're tired of this manna. So we're, it's like, fine. I'll give you, you know, I'll give you uh, not n enough quail for a day or for a week, but for a whole month until it comes out your nose is what the scripture says. So uh, be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. Amen. Uh, okay. Uh, now, I totally lost my place here. Here we go. Okay, so. All right. For Adonai will judge his people for his. Uh, this is verse 36. For Adonai will judge his people. For his servants, he will relent when he sees the strength is gone and no one is left, slave or free. He will say, where is their gods? The rock they took refuge in. So this is after uh, Israel is brought down so low that they have nothing left, that they're in captivity and they hit rock bottom and they have to look up to see the bottom of the barrel. Verse 38. Who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their libations? Let them rise up and help you and be a shelter over you. So it's like God saying, okay, you're in exile. You were worshiping all these other gods. Let them help you. No, 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 no. We've learned our lesson. Really, God, please help us, help us, help us. Verse 39, see now that I am he. There is no other gods beside me. I bring death and give life. I have wounded, but I will heal. And none can rescue from my hand. Yes. I lift up my hand up to heaven and say, as I myself live forever, when I sharpen my lightning sword and my hand seizes it in judgment, I will return vengeance on my foes and those who hate me, I will pay back. I will make my arrows drunk with blood. So now God is saying, okay, Israel, I'll help you. And those who have persecuted you, those who have taken you into captivity and treated you harshly, I'm going to pay them back for overdoing it. Because really, these nations that were uh, that took Israel and Judah into captivity were God's punishment, God's tools, God's wooden spoon, if you will. But you know how sometimes a parent can get a little carried away when they're spanking a kid and go a little too far? Well, that's exactly what happened. And so God says, now I'm going to, um, you know, uh, pay these nations back for going a little bit too far. Uh, on my children. I will return vengeance on my foes, and those who hate me I will pay back. I will make my arrows drunk from blood, and my sword will devour flesh. The blood of the slain and the captive, the head of the leaders of the enemies, make his people rejoice, O nations, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will return vengeance on his foes and atone for the land of his people. Then Moses came and spoke all the words of this song in the ears of the people. He and Joshua, son of Nun, when Moses finished speaking all these words to all of Israel, he said to them, put in your hearts all the words that I call as a witness against you today, that you may command your children to keep and do all the words of this Torah. For it is not an empty thing for you because it is your life. People's life is about a lot of things. For some people, a rainbow flag is their life. 
For some people, a bat symbol is their life. For some people, a Star Trek emblem is their life. For other people, the dollar sign is their life. A lot of people can make their life about a lot of things. But what we should make our life on is the Word of God. The written and living Word of God. The Torah and the living manifestation of that Torah, which is Jesus Christ, Messiah Yeshua. For it is not an empty thing for you. Because it, this Torah, is your life. This law, this instruction is your life. By this word, you will prolong your days on the land which you are going to uh, possess. Okay, I'm just going to stop right there. So through this song, you have heaven and earth called the witness. Then you had kind of a little history of what God did for Israel. Israel took all those blessings for granted, was carted off into captivity. And then at the end of the song, there's hope. Even though they screwed up, they rebelled, they, they fell away, they repented, and God rescued them. So this whole song is basically an entire history from beginning to end of the children of Israel. And this is what they are to learn, and this is what is going to come back in their mind. So you have Deuteronomy chapter 32, which is a warning to keep the word of God. Now, another song of Moses in Exodus 15, this song was a victory over the enemy. Why? Because of the obedience of the word. Cross this, cross this sea. Cross over on dry land. And they did. And, and Egypt pursued. And like a zipper zipping up a coat, the water just kind of zipped up behind the children of Israel and drowned the Egyptians. And so Exodus 15 is a victory song, also sometimes called the Song of Moses. But there's another song that I want to touch upon before we close out, and that is in Revelation chapter 15. It's called the Song of Moses to the Lamb. The Song of Moses to the Lamb. So in Revelation chapter 15, verses uh, 3 through 4, and it says, And they are singing the Song of Moses the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. So us believers, when we get to heaven, Deuteronomy 32 is not only the song of Israel. It's our song too because those who are Gentiles are joint heirs. They've been grafted in to the olive tree of Israel. So it's, it's our song too. So it says, and they are singing the song of Moses, Deuteronomy 32, the servant of God and the song of the lamb. The song of the lamb is a new one, new on the top charts, saying, great and wonderful are your deeds, Adonai Elohei Zevaot, which is Yahweh, the God of angel armies. Just and true are your ways, O king of the nations, who shall not fear and glorify your name, O Lord? For you alone are holy. All nations shall come and worship before you. And that's going to be fulfilled uh, in Zechariah. Zechariah 14, I believe the chapter is, is talking about during the millennium, that during the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, this time of year, that all the nations are going to bring their gifts to Jerusalem, to the temple, where God is going to be, where Yeshua is going to be. And if they don't, they won't get rain for next year's crops. For all, for you alone are holy. All nations shall come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. So this song of the Lamb really announces the supremacy of God. The supremacy of God. And this song has yet to be sung, but one day we will sing it.
So what's our what, what's our songs that we're to memorize for when we get to heaven? Because there's nothing like somebody singing a song and you not knowing what it is. You know, I mean, it's kind of easy to kind of like uh, hide uh, in a crowd and kind of, you know, Milli Vanilli the, the song and kind of lip sync it. And, you know, you, you hear those people that are just like, um, they're just kind of humming. Ha, na, ha, na, ha, ha, ha. Gloria in excelsis Deo. And they're just mumbling the rest of the song, but they're belting out what they know. Right. You don't want to do that. So you want to know the song of Moses and you want to know the song of the Lamb because these are the songs that we're going to be singing in the world to come and it's going to be great. So again, songs help us remember and I highly recommend that if you can find, you know, on YouTube or on Spotify or some other streaming platform, scripture memory songs because uh, it'll help you really get the word of God in you and you'll be singing these songs when you're driving or when, you know, a hard time comes and a song will come to your memory. And these songs will help soothe your soul and help you get through these hard times. So uh, let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your foreknowledge. That you gave this song to Moses as a warning for the children of Israel. And even though they were warned, they still kind of like, eh, I'm not sure if this is going to happen or not. And they found themselves doing the very thing the song said they were going to do. And then when they were finally in exile and they were just at their wits end, they finally remembered the song and what they needed to do in order for you to come to their rescue. And that was total repentance, total renunciation of all the foreign gods that they've been involved with and committed spiritual adultery with. And come back to you in full repentance and submission. And then you miraculously delivered them from Babylonian exile. And they were able to regain the land once again. And Father, we thank you and we praise you for that. We thank you, Lord, for prophecy being fulfilled before our very eyes. It's as if 1948, when Israel officially became recognized by the world as a nation again, it started the prophetic time clock. It's been 70-some years since that event. and. Uh, you know, I mean, do we have many more years left before your return? Lord, we're, we're so looking forward to your return uh, for, for you to rescue us from our Babylonian exile in this pagan, western, fallen world we find ourselves in. So, Lord, help us to stay true to your word as we trudge through this Babylonian exile that we find ourselves in, this wilderness that we're in, to be able to praise you and to glorify you and take as many with us as we can as we journey. Because you said, come out of her, my people. And as we exit this Babylon into the glorious kingdom uh, of the next world. And Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.